0: Well, great balls of fire. This is Home and Garden Radio Podcast number 26. Where has all the time gone? Oh, guess what? Today we're going to talk about mulch. Yeah. How's that? Isn't that exciting? We're going to do a whole 40 minutes on mulch. Okay. We'll throw in some other stuff too, but get ready to rumble. Here's Home and Garden Radio Podcast number 26. It's time to talk gardening and
1: all things botanical. You're tuned to the Home and Garden Show with Michael Kroos.
0: Hello, neighbor. Michael is a fun-loving family man who knows all there is to know about plants. (laughs) I'm a genius. He'll talk about outdoor plants, indoor plants, pest control, water gardening, pruning, grow lights, fertilizer, you name it. We're on in 10 seconds, so get ready to have a good time. Call Michael now, toll free. This is exciting, isn't it?
1: And now here's Michael Kroos. Hey,
0: how are you? Are you feeling it? I'm feeling it. Well, I was feeling it. Guess what happened last weekend? It got c- cool. It got cold. It got it got nice. It, it you know that big heat that the that first cold front came through our area. The very first one. You know, the one that really makes the difference. It just kind of come barreling through. Ah, it felt so good. I'm telling you, I went out, walked out in the yard. It just felt wonderful. Got up in the morning. It was 54 degrees outside. Ah, warmed up that day to 74. Ah, it was a delight. Now we're back up to 90. So, you know. But that being said, that being said, It's fall, okay? It is, in my mind, it's been fall for most of the country for a while, but in my mind, it is now officially fall because we had that first cold front, that one that came through that just kind of broke loose, that got all of the heat out, you know, knocked it all away and cooled everything down. And and I have to tell you, on that day, when it was nice and cool, I went out and mowed the lawn, and I'm sitting there saying, this was probably the last time I'll have to mow the lawn this year. I don't know, 90 degrees today, probably if it rains, probably be back out there again, doing it again. But nonetheless, as we think about fall and and as we think about, you know, pumpkins. Oh, by the way, in the next segment, more about pumpkins from Joey and Holly Barrett. And so stay tuned for that in the next segment. They're two-minute vegetable gardening, fabulous stuff. Anyway. What was I saying? I forget what I was saying. I was saying it's fall and it's cool and I like it. Well, I liked it until it got hot again, but that's okay. You know, we live in Florida. It's October and it's still warm. That's nice. You know, I don't want it to get real cold. I don't want it to snow. I don't want it to be 50 degrees is the high and 28 is the low. I I don't want any of that. That's not what I moved to Florida for. No, you know, well, I didn't move to Florida for any of that. I got drug here by my parents when I was, you know, 12, kicking and screaming from Michigan. I did not want to leave Battle Creek, Michigan. I wanted to stay right there with all my friends and my Catholic school that I went to in Hastings and and, and Sister Borjan and, and all of those people. I didn't want to leave, but they drug me to Florida. And I got to tell you, every day of my life, my brother is the same way, by the way, every day of our lives, we look up to the sky and we thank our parents in heaven for dragging us down here and making us live here. What the most wonderful opportunity. What the most wonderful thing that they ever, ever, ever could have done. I mean, wow. I mean, Michigan seems like a dream to me now. But anyway, if you live up north, and even if you live here, it's time to prepare for fall. And when I say prepare for fall, Many of us out on our patios and porches, we have all kinds of plants that we put out there for the growing season. You know, it it happens all over the place. And I know I do. Everybody I know does. And then winter comes, fall comes, and it's time to start acclimating these plants to go into the house for the winter. Now, let me tell you a wonderful little secret. When I say it's a wonderful little secret... It is a wonderful little secret for the people over in Apopka, Florida, that grow house plants. If you go to Apopka, Florida, if you fly over that area of Central Florida in a helicopter, and you look down, you see all of these—you you see all of these covered areas where plants are grown. They have shade cloth over them, and, and it just seems to go on forever. And what they're growing there are house plants. And why are they growing house plants there? Because of this time of year. Because this time of year, everybody up north, and that's probably you, is bringing their plants into the house. And guess what happens to most of those plants that you bring into the house? They die. Yeah, they die. And what I'm going to talk about now is the scientific methods to preserve those plants. And I'm going to give you all of the horticultural information that you will need to help preserve those plants so that most of them don't die. Some of them are going to die, I promise you. You know, just happens. Shock's going to be too much. But I'm going to tell you all of the things that the textbooks say that you're supposed to do to, to get that done, to get, to get those plants ready to move back into the house, to make your indoor environment a wonderland of plants and oxygen and, and, you know, flora and just greenery and, you know, give your cats something to go pee in. But anyway, and they do that. And boy, that just, you know, I used to have a cat named Doonesbury and whenever I would bring plants into the house, now he never messed or she never messed with the plants that were already there. But if, if we would bring in a new plant into the house, Doonesbury, the cat, would immediately have to go and christen that house plant. I remember bringing a rubber plant into the house. And actually, you know, I bought it for inside the house. Went to a nursery, bought it, brought it in, stuck it, had a place for it, had it all planned out. You know, and, you know, we go about, you know, put the plant there. Oh, it looks nice. It looks wonderful. Then I'm going into the kitchen and doing something. And next thing I know, I hear this, this, this digging. I hear this digging. And sure enough, there's Jeansberry out peeing in the plant. Ah, that used to make me so mad. And then you had to take the plant outside and you had to flush it and you could never get that odor out of it. I mean, it was just, ah, man. But anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about. What I'm here to talk about is the best way to preserve those plants once you get them into the house. Now, you know, if you have them out on the lanai, they're getting lots of light. Even if it's in a shaded lanai, they're getting lots of light. They're getting a whole bunch more light than they're getting inside the house. And according to the textbooks, when you move plants inside the house, you want to duplicate the, as far as light is concerned, as closely as possible what you had out on your lanai or outside. So you're going to want to go to Southern exposed windows and you're going to want to put them there. And you're going to want to, you know, and, and I knew a guy, his name was Fred Rogers. As a matter of fact, 26 years ago, for a brief period of time, Fred Rogers was a co host of this radio show. Painful. Um, And Fred, you know, very, very nice gentleman, works for the. I got him a job working, teaching horticulture at the school system. And he uh, parlayed that into a government bureaucratic job with the school system now to where he doesn't teach, he actually creates forms. But he was just, you know, that kind of guy. And when he would move his plants inside, he would set up grow lights, and uh, just and his wife used to just go nuts. Uh, she, oh, Fred, not not again! And you know you would walk into his house, and it was light as day in his house at night for all the plants that he had moved inside. And his wife was extremely irritated with him, but he would do that. I don't recommend that you do that. Because, number one, those grow lights are expensive. Number two, if the sheriff knows that you're buying those grow lights, he's going to think you're growing marijuana in your house, and they're going to come and spy on you. Fred would never grow marijuana in his house, but, you know, he had a bunch of those lights, probably still has them, because he would put them in there for for his indoor plants that you would normally sit out on his back porch during the growing season. And in the cold of winter, he would bring them in there with all those grow lights. That's a bit much. Okay? And then they're going to say, you must miss the plants, according to the textbooks, miss the plants, all of the, and I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you what we used to teach, telling you what the curriculum was that we used to teach back when I was a horticulture teacher. You want to keep the plants nice and moist and miss them. Uh, you're going to want to water the plants in accordance to the, you know, to the watering instructions of that particular plant. My rubber plant, for instance, like to dry out between waterings. Okay, so but the leaves enjoyed being a little, you know, that humidity that's outside, especially where I live. There was lots of it. And then you move that plant inside. And even if you don't have a lot of humidity where you live, trust me, you have more outside than you do on the inside. And so when you move those plants inside, you're going to want to miss them on occasion, you know, with a little spray bottle. I have one right here. Look, this is my spray bottle. Let's see if you can hear this. Did you hear that? You know what I use this bottle for right now? I use this bottle to get my cats off of the uh, places I don't want them to be in. I don't even have to squirt them anymore. I just hold it up and they leave. They're smart cats. But, uh, and these cats are so smart, they never pee on my indoor plants. I, I love these cats. Cornelius and Ramona, the two current crows cats. But anyway, where am I? What, what am I doing? Oh, we're out of time for this segment. So when we come back, we will continue with this. And then I will tell you the real easy trick to this. And I'll also tell you some of the downfalls. And we will continue right here on Home and Garden Radio on your very favorite radio station. So stick with us.
2: two minutes as the fall approaches in the northern hemisphere, pumpkins are a staple of the fall colors. But there's more to pumpkins than just making jack-o'-lanterns or decorations for your fall festival parties.
1: There's the obvious answer which is pumpkin pie. And yes there are pumpkins that are bred for this or uh, designed for this called sugar pumpkins and they have a higher sugar content, but you can use any pumpkin for pumpkin pie. We've never noticed a difference and we've we've used both. You can also do something like, you know, different other baked goods like pumpkin bread, pumpkin muffins, pumpkin cupcakes, what have you. Another good idea is making pumpkin flour. With many people switching to grain-free and gluten-free, this is an alternative to a regular flour. You simply just cut the pumpkin into chunks or strips, you dehydrate it. Once it's fully dehydrated, you grind it with a coffee grounder or food processor and then you store it in a dry place. You can only replace a quarter of the flour in a recipe for your pumpkin flour, but it it is a delicious option.
2: You can also make fudges and pumpkin, what is called pumpkin butter, but you cannot can the pumpkin butter. That has to be frozen and then brought in the refrigerator to use in a timely manner.
1: Another good idea is what you want to do would be to can the pumpkin. When you can pumpkin, you do need a pressure canner and you have to can it in chunks. You cannot can a pumpkin puree but you are able to can the pumpkin for long-term storage. Or you could freeze the pumpkin puree and you would wanna do this in two to four cup size portions so that when you go ahead to thaw, it's easier to thaw.
2: And this is just some of the many things that you can do with a pumpkin besides cutting it up as a jack-o'-lantern or displaying it on your front porch for the fall festival season. For more information on pumpkin and pumpkin possibilities, Our weekly video productions as well as our free downloadable digital quarterly magazine. You can find all that information at at
1: thewisconsin
2: for the health-conscious organic gardener worldwide. For Gardening in Two Minutes, I'm Joy Baird
1: and I'm Holly Baird.
0: Do you have German cockroaches in your house? Hey! This week's edition of Home and Garden Radio is brought to you by the good people at helpihavebugs.com That's helpihavebugs.com helpihavebugs.com And now, back to your Home and Garden Guru, Michael Kroos. And we're back Gosh, learned all about pumpkins. Anyway, we were talking in the last segment about the joys and wonderment of uh, of taking your, you know, your plants that you've got outside and bringing them in for the winter. As fall now approaches, and as fall is now here, we're now thinking about doing that. And we talked about trying to duplicate the light. We tried to talk about, you know, the humidity situation. And some people actually go and get, you know. Uh, humidifiers for the home. If they have a lot of plants, I, I knew a woman, ah, bless her heart, worked for the extension service down here and she would uh, do a lot of house plants. And during the winter, always had a lot of house plants in the house, even in the summer, but in the winter she had a humidifier that was just, you know, setting out there in the living room, blasting away some moisture for all of her plants. I, you know, again, you don't want to, yeah, that's going a little bit too far in my mind, but you, know, you do wanna miss them. The biggest problem that these plants are going to have is that they're going to go into natural shock. Whenever you move a plant, that plant goes into shock. And an, and an excellent example of that would be uh, the weeping fig, okay? One of, one of those plants. And I used to have my house in Tarpon Springs, I had one, two, I had four of them. And I, I always kept them in the house. Always, always, always kept them in the house. But one time we moved one from one part of the family room to another because we wanted to put the sofa where that one was. And we said, oh, here's a better place for it. So we just moved it. And the very act of moving it made it drop 35% of its leaves all over the living room floor. It came back. It did well. Well, that is when I learned a trick that I'm about to share with you as far as avoiding shock in all of the plants that you move into the house. And this is going to be a product recommendation. And I don't make product recommendations, you know, well, I do, but I mean, I, I, this is going to sound like an endorsement, which it is. And it's going to sound like a commercial, which it is not because I have absolutely No financial, unfortunately, I have no financial ties to this company whatsoever at all. I am a customer. Over the years, I've gotten one bottle of this stuff for free. I I actually got a bunch of little vials of it for free when I was teaching to give to all of my students. Because the gentleman who created this product knew that if he got it in your hands, you would. and you were a serious gardener, you would always use it. And the product that I am talking about is Super Thrive. Now, if you don't know what Super Thrive is, go to that amazing thing that's on the internet. It's called Google. But I first ran into Super Thrive in 1985 when I was teaching horticulture. And I took my entire class to a trade show over in Orlando, a horticultural trade show. And the gentleman who created Super Thrive, which is a 50 vitamin and mineral and hormone product that is a, for transplanting and for all kinds of stuff was there wearing Madras pants and a polka dot shirt. And he was standing out in the aisle, handing out samples of Super Thrive. And when he found out that I was a teacher and I had my whole class with me, he gave me a bunch. He said, there's all your class here. so well, most of them. Well, so he gave me a bunch to give away to the rest of the class when I, I came back. And he sat there and he swore by this stuff. I will tell you that this stuff is nothing short of a miracle product. And what it does, I always use it for transplanting. I use it on cold damaged plants. It has a strange tendency to bring them back. And I always use it if I'm going to move a plant into the house. And the way I use it is I take one cap full of super thrive. By the way, if you buy and I encourage you to buy a bottle of super thrive, it's hard to find. It's easy to find on the internet. I bet you can buy it all over eBay, but, um, I I challenge you to read the entire bottle and have it make sense to you. This guy just put so much stuff on the label that you just can't understand it. You know, you'll never finish reading a Super Thrive label. It's just one of those physical impossibilities. But um, one capful of Super Thrive in a gallon of water. And when you move the plants in, you water the plants with this combination. And when you water the plants with this combination, you have then solved, in my mind... Uh, and in the mind of many, everybody who does this, the uh, shock situation. So as long as you're watching the humidity, as long as the plant has plenty of light, chances are very good it's going to live. Lacking any of those things and also lacking putting the super thrive down, there's a chance, pretty good chance, more than better chance that those a lot of those plants are going to die. Which, by the way, is a good thing for the houseplant industry over in Apopka because, by golly, they got to feed their kids. And, and, you know, buy their Lamborghinis. Uh, so they depend on you not taking care of those plants. But I just told you in a nutshell, in a roundabout sort of way, how to do it. Okay? Duplicate the light as much as possible. Keep the plant nice and humid. And you super thrive. And uh, your plants should... You know, unless you have a cat like I did that goes and pees on the darn thing. Oh, man. Uh, but, um, you know, or you knock it over or your kids, you know, it's, it's, you know, all kinds of stuff happens. What can I say? But that will save your plants. We will continue right here on Home and Garden Radio. Garden Guru Michael Kroos. All right, you know what's disturbing? I have to tell you what's disturbing. Weight is starting to creep back up on me. I gotta do something about that. But anyway, before I do something about that, I have to do something about mulching. Yeah, because I'm gonna tell you something. I used to get these wonderful things in the mail every week, they were called press releases. Nobody sends them anymore. And they used to send me neat stuff in the press releases. There would be pictures. There would be little uh, keychains. There would be, you know, stickers. There would be all kinds of stuff. used to give the stickers to the kids when they were little. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. But now, with that interweb thing, you know, that that Internet, nobody sends stuff in the mail anymore. I get press releases sent to me via my email. And I get a lot of them. And I tell you what, I get a lot of email. And sometimes I'm I must confess, I, I wish that I went through my email as well as I should. But some days I will open up my my Gmail account and I will look and there will be 940 new emails that showed up since last night. And if I've got a busy day, you know I sit there and go, huh? And I have been known to do this in the past. I've been known to be so frustrated saying what could be so important? If it's this important, they will get a hold of me in another way. You know, they'll call, they'll send something in the mail and I'll just delete everything. I'll just push a little click, delete everything. But this week I probably got six, seven press releases, news releases about mulch and the importance of mulching. All of this, by the way, was from people who sell various kind of mulches. And as we get into fall, I I guess it's important to talk about mulch because it's a good time of year to do it. Do I mulch? Yeah, I'm a biggie on mulch. I'm a real biggie on mulch. There's all kinds of different mulch out there. Uh, And, you know, you have your choice. We're going to talk about some of them. Here's one I'm going to talk about that I'm not going to recommend that you use right away. And that is the one now where I live, the county... There are people go out and they trim trees and trim shrubs and all that. Well, they take this stuff back, all these trimmings back, and they grind them all up and they turn them into a mulch. And it's available for free. You can go down to the uh, county extension service and they got a giant pile down there. Take your truck down there and load up on all kinds of free mulch. Well, that's becoming very popular all across the country as they take a drink of water. I say, stay away from it. Here's what I have found in it. I found all kinds of disease in that mulch. I found all kinds of bacteria in that mulch. That's not good bacteria. I found uh, all kinds of weird stuff in that mulch that I'm not even going to go into. And besides that, it's just butt ugly. Now, there's a guy that lives two doors down from where I used to live. Now, the guy that used to live there was a really good gardener. Wonderful guy. Wonderful guy he decided to move back up north. And uh, he moved back up north and he sold his place to a guy who became very active in the Cooperative Extension Service Master Gardener Program. And he's from England. And people from England are crazy gardeners. I'm just going to just say it; they are crazy, crazy gardeners. And uh, he went in there and started gardening. He started digging up all kinds of lawn areas and putting all kinds of plant beds and he went down and he bought that free mulch or he bought that for he got that free mulch and was bringing it in and just piled it up and i gotta tell you his yard just looks yuck absolutely yuck okay just looks terrible and i i you know i don't even know what to say but i i you know I, i'm kind and he doesn't listen to my radio show so well sometimes he does oh well um anyway your mulch looks bad if you're listening hope you're not uh but if you are you know, I don't live there anymore. Get mad at me. I don't care. Um, I do care, but not that much. But anyway, that is one mulch. There are lots of other marches. Gravel is a mulch. And gravel stones, very popular mulch. And by the way, very effective mulch. But very expensive. Very expensive to put down. Very labor intensive to put down. Because it's very heavy. You know, but it's very good. And besides that, it gives you certain amounts of minerals that just kind of are already in the rocks or the gravel that work their way down into the soil. So that's a good mulch. And by the way, what is mulch supposed to do? Mulch is supposed to do a bunch of things, but it's supposed to help slow down the weeds, which it really doesn't do that much. But it does, it does, it helps. And um, the other thing mulch is supposed to do is to prevent runoff. And uh, it also holds the moisture into the soil, which it does. Another popular mulch are the wood mulches. And uh, some of the wood mulches I like, some of the wood mulches I don't like. Let me tell you the ones I don't like. I don't like the pine bark mulch, which is very popular where I live. And let me tell you why I don't like it. It attracts bugs. And if you want bugs in your house, then get pine bark mulch. Just attracts bugs, attracts those big roaches. And the other thing it does when you're putting it up next to your house Okay, next to where you live, it is actually attracting subterranean termites. That's not good. You don't want that. And um, I have done this. I've gone out to homeowners, you know, landscapes where they've got that pine bark mulch, and it's been in there for a while. And I've actually dug around and found active subterranean termites chomping on the mulch. Not a good thing. Cypress mulch, that doesn't happen with. So that's a good one. You know, there are some other ones out there that you can use. That will, the bugs are not, you know, eucalyptus, things like that. Bugs are not attracted to. Uh, Other mulches that that are out there. Oh, I'll tell you a mulch I like. And I like it a lot. It's expensive, but it's cool. And it's tire mulch. Now, tire mulch is ground up tires. You know, the used tires. What are they going to do with? Save the environment. They grind them up and turn them into mulch. Well, when they started off with that, it was very unpopular for a good reason. And the good reason was that the tires had all those chemicals on it from the road, all this petroleum stuff and blah, 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 blah. They were dirty. You didn't know what you were putting into your landscape. Couldn't agree with you more, but they fixed that. Now, and besides that, it was all one color, the dark blue, you know, tire color. Well, now they have sanitized that, you know, they grind up the tires. Then it goes through a cleaning, a super duper, duper, duper cleaning process. And now it comes in a variety of colors. It comes in brown and light tan and, you know, the original color or just plain outright black. Good stuff, you know, Uh, very, very, very good stuff. And it lasts forever. Of course, you know, some of it's going to work its way into the soil. So with any mulch, you have to replenish it. Now, one of the important things that mulch does is that mulch helps to avoid weeds, helps to slow them down. Well, What I have done for years is underneath the mulch, I have put a weed cloth. Well, now the environmentalists are, you know, saying it may not be such a good idea, okay, because the weed cloth, while it lets the moisture through, they're saying it doesn't let the moisture through fast enough and you're not getting the bacteria, you know, the natural, you know, biodegradation of the mulch to get in there to help the soils. Okay, so that's what they're saying. I still am going to use weed cloth because I hate pulling weeds. And I just fertilize to get the proper minor elements down there. Now, the other thing that mulch does that is not such a good thing is that mulch will actually rob a lot of the mulches, uh, such as the wood-based mulches, will rob your soil of minor elements. And robbing your soil of minor elements is a big thing It's kind of a real big thing when it comes to things that we eat, such as, you know, uh, fruit trees, apple orchards, citrus trees, things like that. You ever notice they do not have mulch around them or the successful ones? They do not have mulch around them. They have bare soil, which is a little bit more maintenance, mind you, but it is still important to do because that allows all of the natural minor elements that are naturally occurring in the soil and naturally occurring through nature when the bird flies by and poops or when a leaf falls and biodegrades or any of those things happen uh, you know then those minor elements work their way into the soil and that is a good thing it's a very 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 good thing so you know that is just something to consider Uh, on that there are some times when mulch is not a good thing but for the most part mulch is a good thing helps avoid soil runoff helps avoid you know the topsoil especially runoff helps with the weeds helps with the moisture makes the landscape look really nice those are all important things things that we like to do so keep those things available and think about that this is a wonderful time of year to put down mulch, so why don't you consider it? We will continue in just a moment. And now, back to Michael. Ever wonder why citrus trees, fruit trees, apples, pears, Why they don't have mulch underneath them? Well, because besides all of the wonderful qualities of mulch, one of the things that mulch has a tendency to do is it has a tendency to suck up certain nutrients, especially minerals. And I don't know why this is, but mulch, you know, if it's nice and thick and it's moist, for one thing, it just sort of robs the micronutrients, robs the minerals out of soil. Now you know, for a lot of plants, this isn't a problem, but for plants that are, you know, growing things that you're going to eat, it is a problem. It is also a problem for plants of color, plants with variegation in them. Uh, we like to have the good mineral content, the minor elements working their way into those plants, and yes, we do fertilize those plants and. Hopefully, we're using a good fertilizer that has a good micronutrient blend. But even that, even that, a heavily mulched area will, uh, you know, will cause some of those micronutrients. As a matter of fact, a lot of those micronutrients to not be available to the very fine, hairy feeder roots of the plants, which can be, you know, not a good thing. Definitely not a good thing. So while mulch does have a lot of benefits... Uh, there are some situations where, you, you know, tobacco plants, for instance, you will never find mulch in a tobacco field. All right. You just never will. And by the way, and I hate to you, you know, should I mention this? No, I'm not going to mention this, but oh, I, I will. People out in Washington and Oregon and areas like that or northern California that are out there growing their their medical marijuana in the fields out out in the boonies. I saw a, a uh, video that was taken by law enforcement where they went out to one of these places. And one of the things I noticed is that none of those plants were mulched either. Because, you know, they need a wide array of minor elements. So that is good. This is why when we have fruit trees in our yard, by the way, uh, and we have grass that grows right up to the fruit trees, The fruit trees don't deliver good tasting fruit and sometimes, and they don't deliver near as much fruit as they do if there's nothing but bare soil all the way around the drip line. And, you know, I've had people say, well, okay, we got rid of the grass, but we put in mulch, you know, to keep the weeds out. Well, that didn't work because the mulch sucked up all the nutrients just as, you know, almost as bad as the grass that was growing underneath there. So what we really want is bare soil underneath our fruit trees, underneath our pears, on our apples and our oranges and all of those things. We want bare soil. And why do we want bare soil? Because as the tree sheds itself and the leaves biodegrade into the soil, they, those minor elements are then readily available in the soil for the plants to take in. And especially if we're fertilizing, which, you know, if we have fruit trees, we're going to fertilize. We're going to be adding those minor elements as well as the major elements to the plant. And having that bare soil all the way around there is a bit, you know, it makes it better, makes it easier, makes it nicer. But what about the weeds underneath there? What are you going to do with the weeds? Here's where we're going to get controversial again. Now, I know people. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I you know, know a, one of my dear friends is a guy by the name of Gerald Holt. Gerald Holt grew up in the citrus industry. His dad used to, made his living spraying citrus uh, in homes all around Florida. And he would advise people on how to care for their citrus. And let me tell you, this was back in the early 60s, 50s and 60s when Mr. Holt was out spraying. And by the way, guess what he was spraying with in those days? Okay, guess what he was spraying with? He was not spraying with chemical pesticides. He was spraying with sulfur and copper and, and minerals like that, which, by the way, and oils, which would suppress the insects and add nutrients to the plant. But he, I remember Mr. Holt telling me many, many, many years ago that, and at the citrus at his house... He had nothing growing underneath it so that the minor elements were available. And the way he did it, and the way I saw a lot of people doing it growing up in Florida and also in Michigan where we had apple orchards, was they would go out there with hoes and just hoe up the weeds and keep the soil loose. And now, guess what they're using? You know what they're using. Guess what they're using? They're using chemicals. They're using Roundup right now underneath the citrus trees. Why? Because it's easier. When I had a grapefruit tree, I had two grapefruit trees on my property up in Tarpon Springs. Used to go out and hoe them. And you know what? I became busy. I had kids and, and, you know, stuff going on. I was teaching full time at the, you know, then. And I just couldn't do it. So I just went out there and sprayed Roundup. That's what I did. And... I grew the most delicious grapefruit you would ever want to have. And uh, when the, then the weeds would biodegrade into the soil when I sprayed Roundup and turn into minor elements, which then fed the trees. But, you know, the better thing to have done, and what I did do for like a year or two before I just got, I just got so busy, was that uh, I would go out there with a hoe. And, you know, one or two days a week I would go out there didn't take long, but it did take a while. And if I let it get out of hand, if if I got busy and I couldn't do it, then it became a big job. And then, you know, when the summer comes on, that becomes a very big job. Especially if the weeds start growing like crazy. You got to go out there and, and you're constantly working. Well, I got tired of constantly working on fruit trees. So I used Roundup. Don't regret it, not even for a minute. And if I had a, you know, when I bought the house I'm in now, there was a tangerine tree out in the backyard and the lady who owned the house, let the grass grow right up to the bark and they, the tangerines tasted terrible. Well, I did not want a tangerine tree, but I did keep it for two years. And the first thing I did, and it was all grass underneath, I wasn't going to go dig up all that grass. You know, it was summertime. I bought this house in August. So I went out there and sprayed it all with Roundup. I did. I went all the way around the drip line, sprayed in, zapped it all out with Roundup. And it worked wonderfully. Okay? Killed it all off. And, uh, you know, killed it all off relatively quickly, within seven days. It was all dead. And then it just started rotting away and then got down to the soil. Now, I did go out there and help it out. After about three or four weeks, I went out there with a shovel and just kind of loosened it all up a little bit. And, uh, The the next year, I grew great tangerines. And goodness gracious, we're out of time. We'll see you folks next week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.